The occasion of John chapter 14 is, is days before the, the crucifixion of Christ. And although he had spoken to his disciples about his death, it had gone in one ear and out the other. Ricocheted off them. They couldn't grapple with the, with the horrific thought that their master would die like that. But as, the, as it, it is days away, he says to them, now is the time for the Son of God to be glorified. Jesus was not glorified in the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000. He would be glorified and glorify the Father in the, in the death of Calvary, in the death on the cross. Because in that death, he purchased redemption for us and paved the way back to God for we who are lost and apart from God. So as we land on John chapter 14, verse 1, we want to define this troubling in the heart of the disciple very carefully and look at the passage within its context. In order to interpret Scripture correctly, context is king. Never forget that. Context is king. Real estate agents will tell you that the value of your home depends on three things. Location, Location, location. The correct interpreting of scripture depends on three basic thoughts. Concept, context, context, context. Now there's other things involved in interpreting the scripture, but that's king. So we're going to look at it within the context of his conversation about his death. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart, hearts be troubled. As he looked around at his men, there was complexity and fear upon their faces. It all goes back to his statement back in chapter 13 and um, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Uh, I was walking around the church early this morning and Lorelai was following me. And I got to the men's bathroom, and I turned to her, and I said, where I am going, you cannot come. <laughs> she smiled and walked off. There was a place where Jesus was going that his disciples could no longer follow him. This is their perplexity. They knew it was his death. It was his cross. What he was going to do for them and for us we cannot duplicate, we cannot follow. His payment for our sins and the purchasing and the washing of our blood was accomplished in an act that was redemptive and in something we don't enter in with him. He did this for us. Notice, this is on Peter's mind in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. We'll go back to that verse in a moment. It says again, this is why their hearts were troubled. This is the context. Keep that freshly on your mind. Verse 1 of chapter 14 again. Jesus says to them, believe in God. The King James is, you believe in God. Believe also in me. He equates himself, appropriately so, with God Almighty. 
You have trust and confidence in God. Place that confidence and trust and faith in me also. Notice the transition now. If they place their faith from God in Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say God here here and on out. He says in verse 2, in my father's house. Notice the transition from God to Father. It is gone through believing in Jesus Christ. You know, everybody believes in God, pretty much. Even the atheists believe that there's a God. My brother had found an old twisted cypress stump on his property. And he was making some wood things out of it. And he he sent me a picture of a candle holder. It was beautiful, beautifully done. I commented on him talking to him on the phone, and my brother is not a Christian. He said, well, God made it, and I just kind of cleaned it up. I said, that's right. That's right. See, even those who don't believe in Jesus believe in God. But he to them is not a father until they come through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' father, no no longer is he talking to him about, about God. He references as a father. Notice, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, I know the King James says many mansions. And I know we've sung the songs over the years. But the Greek doesn't say that. I had a friend, Mitch Fernball, who has gone to be with the Lord in his late 20s. He was one of the three of us. We all got saved about the same time in the Navy, three amigos, Mitch, Mike, and I. Mitch loved Oreos, so we always to joke about his mansion made out of Oreos. Loved peanut butter parfaits. He's gonna, well, Mitch has found out if he's got a mansion made of Oreos, but probably not. This word means a dwelling place, an abode, a place to inhabit. If you want to use it in a physical term, you could say, in my father's house are many apartments, are many places to live. But I tend to interpret this more than just a physical place because I don't think Jesus is talking about heaven at all. I don't think this passage has anything to do with heaven. Nothing. I think if you were to bump up next to Peter at this moment and say, hey man, he's talking to us about heaven. Peter would look at you like, what in the world are you talking about? None of this is referring to heaven. Metaphorically, my father's house There is plenty of room. There's an open invitation, if you will. You know our homes are not sheetrock and two-by-fours. You know that. They're relationships. They're children and grandchildren and friends. Look around your house today. Let it all burn down to the ground. If you still got those who love you within a family, you've got your home, do you not? But you lose those relationships in your family and it all goes south relationally. You can live in a mansion made of sheetrock and two-by-fours and beautiful stuff. It is empty and meaningless. Jesus is not talking about a place. He's talking about relationships. In my father's house... There's plenty of room for everyone. Let's go on and see why I don't think this is talking about heaven at all. He says, 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, where was the going in verse 13? It was going to the cross, not going to heaven. It was the idea that Jesus is glorified and that he's crucified. He said, you guys can't come with me to the cross. This is the preparation place. Not that he's gone off to heaven to decorate your house. But it's more of a local, immediate application. I am going, per verse chapter 13, to a cross to prepare. Now this word prepare is very important. It's the same Greek word that John the Baptist used when he talked about the Lord is coming. Make his paths straight. Prepare for his arrival. Now this word prepare comes from a word in the Eastern culture. It's a custom that when a neighboring king came to your city, you would go prepare the paths. You would level the roads. You would get the stumps and the rocks out of the road. You would make his ride smooth because royalty is coming. Catch that? Jesus flips it now and he says, I go to make smooth roads for you. Grace is a smooth road made smooth by the preparation of the cross. Don't miss the hint at royalty there. We are sons of royalty. Do you know that? The path into heaven is not a bumpy road. It's not a hard road. Because of the preparation of the cross, it's smooth and easy. And Christ waits for us as if we're a visiting king. Royalty coming to pass. Isn't that beautiful? You ever knock on a door and wonder what kind of reception you were going to get inside? You know, you're at a door and the house is there and maybe you don't know the people, maybe you know them, you not know if you're welcome in the house. I'm telling you, man, grace opens the door wide open to the love of God and the grace of God on a smooth, prepared place. Take a look with me down at verse 2. I go to prepare a place. It's the same word as he used a moment ago. In my father's house, there are many rooms. This, this place is a position that he has placed us in. Notice verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, again, not heaven, if I go to the cross and I prepare a place for you in grace and I open the door wide open for you to come in, notice, I will come again and take you to myself. When did he come again? On the day of Pentecost, he came again. He sent the Holy Spirit down. When you got saved, he came again into your heart. He took you to himself in that very moment. This is not on and beyond and yonder up in glory. This is now. He's not taking you to heaven. He brought heaven down to you. 
by the cross of Jesus, by his cross and his preparation. I know it's hard to let go of those things. Karen's not with us this morning. She's overworking the children. And whenever she's not here, I, I let her, she asked about the sermon, and I tell her. So I was telling her my thoughts, and she's, oh, no. Oh, no, she fought me. And I know it's hard when you've heard this is heaven all of your life to let that thing go. But there's nothing in context that even refers to heaven before or after this passage. I, I text Mike the other day. I said, Mike, what do you think about this? He said, oh, well, I think it's maybe dualistic. Dualistic. It's talking about both things. I thought, hard to let that go, isn't it? It's not both things. I think it's one thing. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. You got that right now. By the grace of the preparation of the cross. Notice, he goes on to say, and if and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, always the one to ask the questions, along with Peter, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. <laughs> How can we know the way? Now, if this was heaven, he at this point would tell him how to get saved and that he would go into a long, lengthy thing about, but notice he doesn't do that. He gives the famous statement that we all know, I am the way. He said, look at me. I'm not sending you somewhere. I'm coming to you. I am the way. Notice the definite article in the English. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This is the basis for the audacity of Christians to tell the world that Jesus Christ is the only way to God and that all other ways are of the devil. How dare we say it? It's called hate speech in our society. I prefer to call it truth speech. I'm basing this on what Jesus Christ himself said that, and if anybody wants to argue with him, cast them back off on Jesus Christ himself. Well, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Jesus Christ. I am the way. Notice the order, if you would. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is flip from the Old Testament. That is completely in reversal of the Old Testament. The law was prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Take a look at it with me again. In the Old Testament law, what did they begin with? They began with Moses, the prophet. They began with Moses as the preacher. That's where the law started. The law said, if you obey, you will live. If you violate the law, you will not live. In fact, you'll need a priest. Really, it's prophet, king, and then priest. If you obey, submitting to the king of glory, you will live. But if you don't, you're going to need a priest. What's a priest? One who brings us to God by the sacrifice of blood. That was the law. The law could not save us. The law could never accomplish what grace did in the New Testament. In the New Testament, what comes first? The way. That's the priest leading us back to God. 
doesn't even wait for us to sin, to need the priest, because we are sinners. We can't atone for our own sin. So Jesus reverses the order of law and says, I am the way. I am the one who is going to sacrifice, to shed the blood, to bring you back to God. And then after I have brought you back to God, I am the truth. I am the one who is going to grow you in faith. As I share with you what I accomplished on that cross in the years after you came by the way of the priest. And then after truth has settled in, the king, life comes. See the order? It's completely reversed from law. Grace says the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has brought us back completely. And only those who know Christ can hear the truth and know the truth. And in you learning the truth, we are set free to worship the king and life. Notice back up in chapter 13. Let's go back to a verse I stopped halfway through. Verse 36, part B. Jesus answered him saying, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. And take that to mean the cross in his sacrifice for sin. Notice, but you will follow afterward. What does that mean? That means after you've come to the truth, you will begin to understand that not only did I die for you, but you will understand that you died with me. You will come to the cross, but not to pay for your sins. You will come to the cross understanding you have been cut off from sin itself. Are you following me? Do you see that? There it is. Not that I'm going to heaven and then you can follow me later on. I'm going to the cross to die in your place. But the work of the cross that we enter into is our co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. We follow him after taking up our cross, if you will, that we die to sin and are alive to God. Notice verse 7 of chapter 14. Uh, the six, we didn't finish that. I am the way and the truth and the life. The way of sacrifice that I died for you to bring you back to God. Once you're born again, I become truth to you, growing you, and then you submit to me as the king and you receive life. And then he says, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. No man. No matter how sincere a man is, is his faith in God until he has bent his knee to Jesus Christ and cried out to Christ. You don't make it to the Father. Amen. You just don't. One way, that's it. Be strong with that. Be firm in your mind about that. We live in a synchronistic religious society that every way is right and it's all good and just everybody has their own deal. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Truth is relative. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. 
I'm not going to stomp on your feet. Don't stomp on mine. Let's all just get along. There's a reason why when Paul went into towns, there was an uproar and a riot in most of the towns. Do you know that? There are no riots about Christianity anymore. Be strong with that. He is the only way. Notice the rest of the verse. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. From this point on, you're seeing the Father. At what point is they, are they seeing the Father? They're seeing the Father as Jesus Christ enters the passion of the Christ in dying on the cross. That is the Father. The redemptive act of God on the cross is the Father's heart. This is who God is. This is how he becomes our Father in redemption. Not by our own effort, not by our own works, not by battling the devil. He dies for our sins to redeem us, purchase us back to God. Finished, complete, done. That's the Father. And only the Father. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Boy, that statement echoes across the centuries, does it not? People that have been in churches for, for decades have I been with you so long you still don't know who you're looking at? Christianity is all about Christ, and it's all about you seeing Jesus Christ as the Father, as the center of all things. And if he is that, then everything he did, everything he said, brings on new life, and we bow the knee, and we submit to that King of glory. His verse is not about heaven. There's lots of verses about heaven. This is not one of them. This is about the trembling heart of the disciple when they realize everything's changing and Jesus is going to a cross. Jesus said, don't worry about that cross. This is the way I have prepared for you so that my home with you will be eternal. Good to have a home, isn't it? You ever, you ever use the statement around? I know you have. You ask the question, where are my keys? Lord, those keys. Yeah, I, I've often thought, and I'm sure there's a gadget that helps you find your keys, like you shout keys and it beep, 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 beep. You know, this a, but you know, if there was something I had to press to find my keys, I'd lose that too. Some of you put hooks by your doors. And then you don't even use the hooks. You know, you go to the hooks and the, the keys are not there. Then you say, did you move my keys? And you're looking through your pants. You're looking through the drawers. They're probably kicked under the couch somewhere. You lost your keys. With what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you know the devil lost his keys? The enemy of our souls lost his keys. and No, 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 actually his keys were taken away from him. And that, that door that enslaved us, that was locked, he turned that key and opened it, and there it is open. Your choice to stay in your prison is your choice. 
Your choice to stay bound and in bondage to sin is your choice. Because he made everything smooth. I love the, the and I'll close with this. I love, and it's impacted me greatly, the statement of Oswald Chambers. He said, never, never have sympathy with a soul that's finding it hard to get to God. It is not hard to get to God. Jesus took all the barriers away, smoothed out all the rocks. It's a smooth ride to heaven. To say it's hard and difficult is to look to yourself to try to do it. And that never works. What God has made easy, by all means, believe in and go. Go.